Welcome to the very first pilot episode of the Inbound Growth Podcast. Hey everyone, it's great to have you all here today. I'm Keith Gutierrez, founder and CEO at Manage Inbound. And today we'll be discussing data privacy and how it'll impact your marketing, the problem with marketing qualified leads, and why building mental availability should be your top objective in 2022. We're going to jump right into the first topic today. And I want to kind of point out, you know, some changes that have been happening recently. So last year, you guys may have been familiar with this, but last year, Apple ro- rolled out uh, their new operating system, iOS 15 for mobile devices, which included a new option called the hide my email option. And other there's other privacy related features in there as well. So this is keeping people's marketing automation tools like HubSpot and Salesforce and Marketo from being able to really track and see the opens uh, when somebody actually opens one of your emails on a mobile device. So this has got a lot of people concerned, right? Because they can't trust open rates anymore. And furthermore, with that, it's difficult to run marketing automation based on whether or not somebody actually opens an email or not. Now, back in May of 2018, the General Data Protection Regulation, also known as GDPR, was put into place. If you're not familiar with GDPR, GDPR was, is the toughest privacy and security law in the world. And although it was drafted and passed by the European Union, it imposes obligations on any organization that collects data related to people that are located in the EU. So if you really think about that, that expands to all of us here in the US that are doing any kind of business abroad where we have to be concerned with the collection and privacy of that data. Thing I I wanna position here is really around the idea that we shouldn't look at iOS 15 or GDPR or any other data privacy policies that are out there as a barrier, right? I think we need to start thinking about how we can learn to embrace these privacy laws and use them as an opportunity to become better marketers. So what does that really mean? Well, GDPR, again, is designed to protect personal data. And we as marketers should appreciate that and use it to our advantage. So, I mean, really only asking for personal information when it's really necessary. Now, we really start to think about this it's, it's going to change the way that we've done marketing in the past, right? For so long, we were really focused on trying to collect as much data and personal data that we possibly could and put it in our CRM system so we had access to it and we could email people and do all these crazy things with all of their data. But, but now I really want to start thinking about, do we really need to collect this data? Do we need, that, do we need it to really educate our targeted audience? Do we really need it to nurture people that are interested in learning from us? And maybe we do, but I'm just posing the idea that let's not put up barriers that cause friction when they aren't necessary, right? Let's use this as an opportunity to take a fresh look at our contacts and our, in our CRM, our email database, and look at them closely and say, hey, have these people really ever given us permission to use their information? Uh, to save it, to store it in our database? And if so, what did they give us that information for in the first place? Was it to subscribe to ongoing email updates or did they just give us information so they could get a copy of a PDF or a guide that they were interested in at the time? Um, So contacts that didn't give us permission to send them ongoing emails should be sent an invitation to subscribe to ongoing emails or to unsubscribe. Right? They should also be given the opportunity to have their personal data removed from our database if they so choose to do so. Right, Those are really important facts, I think, because Apple releasing iOS 15 and GDPR right, is helping these companies right, you know, avoid or their customers avoid being tracked. Right? So we're going to see more and more companies like Apple and more and more policies uh, like GDPR that are going to be there for the, for the end consumer to protect their data and their privacy. 
Um, here's some interesting stats that, that I thought were interesting about iOS 15 in general. Um, email or Apple iOS 15 email actually has about 46% of the market share. That's according to Litmus. So 46% of all email is opened on an Apple uh, device. And as of today, iOS 15 has a 66% adoption rate across all of those iOS devi devices. That's according to Mixpanel. So it's a pretty high adoption rate. And of those iOS 15 devices, 90% have an opt-in rate, or they have 90% of them opt-in to the mail privacy protection. So, and that's from Campaign Genius. So th this is a real thing. People that are using, uh, you know, an, an Apple device and iOS 15 see the value in actually hiding their email. And I know myself as a consumer, I'm one of those people. As soon as I had the opportunity to keep people from tracking me, I was all over it. I thought that was an opportunity for me to, uh, to protect my, my data and privacy as well. So this is just the beginning. More and more companies across the world are going to start to provide data protection options for their customers. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't track email open rates, but it does mean that we need to adjust the way that we leverage this data. Right, it cannot be relied for email workflow automation any longer. Um, it, it can't be relied as a proper success metric, you know, around the success of your email as well. Not saying you shouldn't track email open rates, but there's other metrics that we can look at that are a, a, that'll better determine the success of your uh, email campaign in general. Okay, so what should we do? And I think this is really the most important part. I think we should put ourselves in our own consumer's buying shoes, right? How do we prefer to be communicated with, right? If, if we want to be part of a company's email list that you signed up for, right? Why, you know, what was it, right? You signed up because you wanted to get value from the email that they send to you, right? It's, you didn't sign up because you wanted some spammy sales email that they send to you over and over again, right? Marketing email, drip nurture campaigns, all of those things are, a lot of noise to consumers and that's not what they're signing up for. So it's best to reach out to your customers, right? Get insight from them, find out what information they want to consume, right? And, and learn from it, right? What makes them the perfect fit to work with you? You know, how did they find you in the first place? What information did, were they looking for? And what did they find the most helpful? Uh, what information did they wish that they actually had? And I think all of this information can be gathered through, through buying insights, which I'm not going to dive in today too much into, into to buying insights themselves, but it's really an important piece of, uh, of the puzzle, right? So when we really get down to it, that we have to look back at the fundamentals of marketing. And there's three things that we really need to know. And the first one is who are our customers? And that really starts again with those buyer insights that define, you know, our core buyer persona and really help us to also shape and understand who our, our ideal customer profile is as well. Now, the ideal customer profile sits at the company level, and that's a description of the types of companies that we want to work with. But these insights, both at the, the buyer level and at the buyer persona level and at the ICP level, are going to really help us to better understand who we're trying to serve. Second thing is we need to understand what information they actually want. Like what are they, what information do they, is going to be helpful to them? Do they enjoy receiving, right? And the last piece of that, once we understand what information they actually want, we need to understand where do they go to get that information? Where do they, where do they hang out? Now, maybe email is one of those places, but there's lots of other places as well, right? So email is likely part of the equation for, for some of your potential customers, but not all. Um, so we're going to see the data privacy landscape become more complex in 2020, I'm sorry, 2022, not less. So we need to learn to embrace this and use it as an opportunity to become better marketers and salespeople. So with that thought there, I'll stop there, uh, Jenny, and see if anybody has any questions about uh, data yes. privacy and GDPR. I do want to just put out there that I am not a GDPR, uh, necessarily a, a lawyer that's going to, you know, provide any 
consultation around GDPR specifically, but it's more around the idea uh, that we should really embrace the, the, the changes of data privacy as we move into uh, 2022 and beyond. And I'll back that up too. This might not be my favorite subject because we are not lawyers, but I agree we have to embrace it because data privacy landscape will just get more complex and we might as well take action and do some of the things that you suggested, Keith. I do have a question. This, ha- this one happened to be emailed in from Colin. So I'm going to start there. And Dennis, uh, he has a question as well. I'm not sure. Just let me know if you want to come on live, Dennis, or I'll just type it in or I'll just say it. So from Colin, and you, and you, you did touch on this already, but I might have missed some of it. But they, he says, they say a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. <laughs> But in the last week, I have noticed LinkedIn has stopped HubSpot from collecting analytical data. And now changes to the iOS 15 system are impeding data collection on email marketing, specifically open rates. Is this something we need to worry about? How can we circumvent to continue to to collect this valuable data? Well, it's a great question. I think the first thing that I would really uh, push back on is, is it really valuable data, right? Is that data really, really valuable? Uh, I think what he's talking about specifically around LinkedIn, LinkedIn had recently had some updates to how long you can pull data from them. I think it's like over just a period of a year now. So you've got 12 months of data that HubSpot's able to pull in uh, into the social reports aspect of it. So as long as you're actually keeping track of that data over time and in an ongoing report, you'll still be able to see that, that data as well. Um, but I guess the question is, you know, when it comes to, you know, email open rates, uh, that kind of stuff, like how valuable is that data uh, really to the overall success of your campaign? I think sometimes we just put a lot of emphasis on metrics that really don't matter that much at the end of the day, right? And there's, I think there's other metrics that we can look at that would help us to better define success. Um, and really that comes with the goal of the overall uh, campaign itself. You know, maybe it's click-through rates, but a lot of times our goal is just really around consumption, right? If we're sending an email to something, someone, we just want them to consume it. Um, and tracking whether or not they actually open it or not, I don't think is the, is the ultimate goal um, so I would just put emphasis on, you know, whether or not that's really, really critical data. And even if, it, if we feel that it is, we have to get comfortable with the idea that it's just not going to be there for us any longer. Some of the other things that kind of go along with this as well is that uh, with GDPR, you know, we have to put cookie policies now on our website uh, for anybody that's, that's doing any kind of business with, with anyone that's, you know, in, in the EU. And this applies to to all visitors, right, that um, allow somebody to choose whether or not those cookies are placed on their browser and actually could be tracked. And this goes back into your traffic analytics as well. If you're using a tool like HubSpot or Google Analytics, if they click decline, then that traffic is not going to be tracked in your reports. So again, here's another metric like uh, open rates, traffic in the same way is not going to be as dependable uh, as it was before. Does that mean that you should stop tracking traffic? No. Does that mean you should stop tracking open rates? No. But they're not going to, you're just going to have to adjust and, and learn to grow with them as they are. But I don't think that those are the, or are the North Star metrics that we should really be pinning our ears down to, right? Like those are, those are things that are just more, you know, indicators that we can look at and measure over, over time. Great. Um, Dennis, you're up. You have the next question. Yeah. Hey, Keith. Hey, I'm fascinated by hey, this Dennis. change in the Apple products. And if I did my math right while you were going through those statistics, that means like overnight, like 27% of consumers, all of a sudden, they're not traceable in the ways that you mentioned. And I have two questions. One is, do thought leaders and people who study this do they think that that is um, a willful action that these people are taking that step consciously and saying, I really don't want this tracked? Or is it more of a, a passive thing, maybe a little bit absent-minded? Because if it's, if it's really active, I think it 
it tells us something about the future, but if it just is an Apple feature that people haven't caught up with, that's one thing. And my, my second question is closely related. Um, is that an all or nothing feature? I mean, like, is there any way that some of their decisions online can be tracked or when they flip that switch in their settings, they're essentially off the air for all the purposes we're discussing? Yes, really good questions. Um, as it relates to the uh, to the iOS feature itself, it is definitely a well you know thought out decision because I don't know if you've gone through this experience yourself, but when you update to iOS 15, you're going to be presented with a, a question on whether or not you would like to take advantage of the hide my email preference, and it comes up very clearly on the screen, and you can either approve you know accept it or decline it right there and whether or not you want to, you know, hide your, your email from being, you know, being tracked or traced. And so I think it's a very clear option for people when they're using that device. I don't think it's like one of those things that were hidden in the back of, you know, the phone that automatically got turned right. on and they just right. didn't know about it. Right. They, they, they have to choose what they want, uh, which option they want to want to use. So I think you that's, said, and you said 90% of people are choosing this that actually upgrade to iOS 15. Right, right. So you got to remember that there's several people, you know, that have not upgraded to iOS 15. Sure. So they're, they're still, you know, do not have access to this, but those that have 90% are opting into it. Wow. And it's, it's an all or nothing thing. So they can't make that any more selective where there's not a way to peek in at certain activities there. They are become essentially invisible. Exactly. Exactly. And the same thing is happening with website tracking as well. Uh, uh, you know, as soon as, you know, the cookie banners are put on the website, you know, people right. have the ability to, to turn that on and on or off by accepting or declining. They can also go into settings and they can choose which cookies that they actually want uh, to enable. So, and I know that, you know, for business, for companies that are just doing business in the US, a, a lot of companies like that are not GDPR compliant and are not following GDPR laws because they're, you know, their customer base is only here in the US, US right now. But for many of our global companies that we work with, uh, including ourselves, we're global as well. Um, you know, we, we really have to take that seriously because, you know, there, there are people in the EU that are um, going to be consuming our content. So that means that everybody has to follow the GDPR uh, policies as well. So I, I just encourage companies in the US right now that are not actively uh, you, or, you know, using GDPR to the full extent, extent to start to think about doing that because it's, not, it's only going to be a matter of time before right. privacy, more privacy laws are going to be here in the US uh, and going to impact those businesses as well. And it's much better to be prepared and, and doing marketing the right way rather than, you know, trying to catch up from bad habits. And, and I would just, uh, you know, leave that thought there that it's a good idea to really think about being GDPR compliant, even if you're not working with people yeah. in the EU. Good. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Dennis. I appreciate that. Yes. Jenny, any more? Uh, we had, you know what, I think we should move on because we have two, much, two other two pretty big topics to go over. Yeah. And if we have more time at the end, we'll come back. But uh, why don't we head on over to those problems with MQLs? Yeah. Okay. Problems with MQL. So <laughs> uh, first thing I want to start with, if you guys don't know what, what an MQL is, we're talking about a marketing qualified lead. And just to set things straight, right? The problem isn't really the marketing qualified lead. The real problem with MQLs is that they've been used as a leading success metric for marketers for you know many years now, as long as I can remember. <laughs> Um, as long as I can remember coming into the inbound world, right? It was all about how can we generate uh, MQLs from our marketing efforts. And again, it, the main problem with all of this is actually how marketers define the MQL. So for most companies, right? An MQL was defined as anyone that fit in their target market. They filled out a form for an educational offer, like an ebook, a quiz, a white paper, something like that, right? And they called it an MQL. The problem was, right, like uh, 
these people aren't actually downloading that content because they actually want to buy something from you. They're downloading the content because it's educational and it's helpful to them and they want to learn, but it doesn't mean that they're actually interested in buying anything at all. So marketers uh, have to focus on how to create content that gets, you know, people, you know, thinking about how they want to make their purchasing decisions right in a non-biased educational way. So that's what I'm talking about. It's not the MQL that's the problem. Uh, it is how we define the MQL and how we go, go about doing our marketing because of it. So again, why did this happen with MQLs? Well, it's because tech companies needed an easy way to showcase the value of their product and marketers like ourselves, right? We needed a quick way to latch on to an, uh, a North Star metric. And the MQL worked really, really well for that. It was very easy to go out, get people to fill out forms for educational content, an ebook, a guide or whatever. And we could create lots of MQL leads. And then you show that as a, as a success metric. And then you put the blame on sales because they weren't able to close those leads into actual sales. So what's happened over the years, right? We, we look at the last, I don't know, five years or so, we've got companies that have come out like Zoom Info where you can pretty much get anybody's email address and phone number, at least here in the US. That, and this may change as well as we look at, at privacy laws. But, but right now with Zoom Info, you can pretty much go get anybody's contact information. You don't need them to fill out a form. And it doesn't make sense to do marketing efforts in order to just get a contact you know, email and phone number uh, when it's readily available in a product like that. So um, just because somebody in your targeted market downloads a piece of educational information, again, doesn't mean they're interested in buying anything from you. Uh, it also doesn't mean that they want to subscribe to your ongoing email updates. So back on that GDPR discussion, when you get into GDPR, if somebody downloads a, an ebook from you and they don't click a button to subscribe to your ongoing e email updates, the only thing you actually have the right to do is send them the email that delivers the ebook to them. So you can't send them ongoing email updates unless they actually opt in for it anyhow. So that actually takes a lot of the value away from the MQL you know, ebook lead than what it, you know, it, it previously had before. So MQLs should not be used as a primary marketing metric. Instead, the primary metric should be more closely tied to revenue generation, right? That's typically a sales qualified lead. Again, the problem with the sales qualified lead is that they're most often uniquely defined by each company. So it doesn't mean the same thing to every company. Um, Chris Walker with Refine Labs he touches on this. He's a thought leader around this topic. And he offered the idea of creating a new metric called the high intent revenue opportunity, which aligns with a stage in the, the sales pipeline that is 20% or more likely to close into a one opportunity. So to determine that, you really just need to go back, start reviewing your overall existing pipeline, find out which opportunity stage converts at 20% or greater into closed one, and then use that stage as your North Star success metric. That's really the one that's most important. If you start to think about how do we generate more of those, you know, hero opportunities or sales qualified opportunities, whatever you want to call them, that's going to change the way that you do marketing, right? The ebook leads are not going to help you anymore. And that's a major shift. The metrics that we use to measure success definitely influence the way that we go to market. So my opinion, there shouldn't be a debate around whether or not we should gate content or ungate content, right? We're talking about gating content. I'm talking about putting a form in front of something like an ebook or a guide to have them fill it out to download, right? We should only gate when it's absolutely necessary. Right, Signing up for a live event like this today requires a registration form. You have to have one in order to get this put together. Right, Signing up for a five-week getting started guide that shows how your product works require, could require a registration form if it's going to be provided through ongoing email. 
uh, subscribing to an ongoing email newsletter requires a registration. But again, email isn't the only way to deliver content to your targeted audience. So don't forget that there's other ways, right? People love getting content delivered by email, but they also like to consume content on social media, on YouTube, in a podcast. So there's many ways that people can consume content without needing to fill out any type of registration form. Furthermore, if you're creating great content that people want to consume, you're going to see that uh, you're going to want to be able to provide that content to them without having any kind of barriers to entry, right? Why put friction in the way? Just get the content to them so they can consume it because the goal with this is consumption. It's not generate an MQL. It's how do I create content that my buyer would like to receive? I know it's the information that they want to consume. How do I make it easy for them to consume the content so they can make an edu educated decision? That's what we want to help our buyers do. So again, comes down to those fundamentals of marketing. Who are our customers? Buyer persona, ICP, what information do they want? And where do they get their information? It may not be just email and it probably isn't, right? There's other opportunities that are out there. So we want to look at leveraging all those and give people the options to choose how they prefer to consume content from our brands. So I'll leave it with that, Jenny. Uh, is there any questions uh, on this topic? And There are a few questions, but I was going to make a quick comment because I think um, probably six months ago, we probably had our own little debate about gating versus ungating because you know as a content writer i always wanted to gate it because that was my measurement to say how that piece of content did because uh x amount of people downloaded it and i was like yes that's great but i've learned the hard way that more volume of leads up top does not mean the success at the bottom and it really is just a change of mindset and i think since we opened up and just decided just let's be educational and, and give our content freely away because it's about them and it's not about us. So I had to get over that hump. It's not about me and my metrics. It's about being uh, more customer centric. And Absolutely. with that, we do have a question that, um, that what now that these are all great things that you're bringing up about MQL, what do you think is an alternative to gated content moving forward in 2022? Yeah, again, I, I was, and that's what I was going to even mention just on the comment that you had had left there, right? This changes the way that you, you start to write content as well, right? Because if the focus before was how do we get somebody to fill out a form, right? It was really all about like, how could we make the most enticing, cool guide and give it the best, you know, headline name for it, right? And, and how can we create this so somebody wants to come and give us their email address for this piece of content? And now we're shifting that to how, how do we create content that we can get to our targeted buyers to consume? And we're going to make it as easy as possible for those people to consume it. And we're going to, you know, the, the goal isn't to get them to fill out a form. It's to actually consume the content. Now we start thinking about that piece of content itself and the value that the whole guide or the whole ebook or the whole blog post or whatever it is, or, or website page, whatever it is that we're creating how, you know, how does that provide or what value does that provide to our targeted audience? And I think that's the, the, the biggest shift in moving away from the idea around MQLs and, and focusing more on something more closely tied to, to revenue, like, like the hero opportunity. Um, so I think that's the biggest value there. I don't think that you want to stop writing, but I definitely think you start to create better content uh, and uh, at least content that's going to make more of an impact for your business. Yeah. I think you will start writing more from your heart than say, how do I get them, you know, be a little more clickbaity or whatever it is to get them to download it. So these are all, um, these are great another, topics. Another, another quick point with that too, is the, the idea before was how do you get somebody to fill out that form to download the guide to get the MQL, but then it went even a step further and it was about how do you use email to nurture them until they're ready to buy something. But the problem is, is that the nurturing campaign ideas were broke as well, right? Because the nurturing campaign ideas were again about how do I get somebody to go click in my email and go to a web page and sign up for something else. 
Um, instead of thinking about, you know, really thinking about how to nurture somebody. And I think nurturing as well has to change, right? Nurturing should be really focused on the, the buyer's activity, right? And, and how they're engaging with you, right? Like, are they taking another step? Then maybe they should get an email. Um, or if, they're, if they are interested in downloading something that requires repetitive email, maybe it's something that's you know, helpful to them to understand how to use your product, like a product, you know, a, a guide or something like that. So I think there's ways to use it, but I definitely think there, that the MQL idea is broken and there's problems with lead nurturing as well. I think we're going to save that for another episode that I'll dive into that even more. But a lot of these topics cross. Um, but these are definitely some real issues. I think that marketers in 2022 are, are seeing and dealing with, and, uh, yeah, it's time to, to adapt these changes and, and, uh, learn to be better marketers because of them. Uh, one last question. And I, you might've touched on it. Uh, when you start to ungate the content and which metric should you be looking at, which you did touch on a bit, but because uh, usually we base a successful piece of content on the number of downloads. So it's not just me. <laughs> Someone else is trying to get out of that same mindset. Yeah. Um, another good question. So uh, another thing that we've picked up with this is the idea that we're going to put you know, on our buyer buying form fields, whatever those are, maybe it's a, a consultation or a demo or a quote. Um, whatever that may be, we, we're putting, you know, a form field on there, asking them, how did you hear about this? This is another um, great tip that Chris Walker actually uh, provided as well. Putting that form field, it's, it's su super basic, right? Just put on there, how did you hear about us? And I think that's one of the, the best indicators of success for any of these programs. If people are coming to you and they're like, you know, I heard about you through that amazing you know, guide that you put out and posted on LinkedIn, then that's great. Um, if somebody's like, Hey, I found you via search and your, you know, X, Y, Z guide or your blog or your page or your blog post or whatever it did had an impact. Right. And, and they mentioned that I think that's all really good qualitative feedback. That's going to be helpful. Additionally, I think all this goes back to reaching out and talking to your buyers on a consistent basis. That's the key with all of this, right? buying buyer research, gaining those buyer insights is critical. Another good way to do that is to start building a community. Kind of like what we're doing here. This idea is to build a community and inside of your community, you're, start to, you're going to start to get additional qualitative feedback as well. So I think the, the qualitative feedback and data that you're going to get is going to be much more impactful on the way you make marketing decisions over quantitative data that we're getting and we're looking back on, right? And, and I think that's one of the big shifts as well. It's hard for marketing technologies like Salesforce and Marketo and HubSpot to be able to capture qualitative data. Um, they're good at capturing the quantitative data. That's why we like to report on them. And it's been easy to do because HubSpot does a great job of capturing all that data for us. But we need to leverage you know, that qualitative data, whether it's doing, you know, win-loss interviews, doing any kind of surveys, reaching out to consumers for brand awareness, uh, and, and, you know, additionally, um, capturing that data on the, how did you hear about us form building a community? Those are all ways that we can use or, uh, ways we can capture qualitative data. That's going to help us make better decisions. Well, Keith, you are just leading us into our last topic <laughs> of the night because it all has to do with brand awareness. And since we got 20 minutes left, let's jump into that and then we can answer any other questions everybody has. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the 95-5 rule. Um, not sure if anybody's heard of that or not. I actually wasn't familiar with that until Inbound 21 this year. Uh, it was fantastic in a session that, that I attended. I was made aware of the 95-5 rule. And the rule kind of simply states that at any given point in time, 95% of your target audience isn't in the market to buy. Just think about that. 95% of your targeted audience isn't in the market to buy. Hmm. Wow. So that leaves 5% of your market 
in market looking to buy. So only 5% are actually thinking about buying something anyhow right now at this point in time. So you might say, okay, well, that's okay. Let's just target the 5% that are ready to buy now. But the problem is that if buyers don't know you when they come in market, it's already too late. Uh, the reason why is because buyers don't evaluate. As much as we want to think that they do, they really don't evaluate. Uh, buyers buy what's mentally available to them, right? Buyers evaluate less than two brands when they come in market on average. Less than two brands on average. So the reality is, is that buyers put themselves in market, not marketers, that was another hard pill for me to swallow, right? As a marketer, I want to think that marketers can put them in market, but it's actually the buyers that put themselves in market. So if they don't know who you are, most likely it's already too late. The other thing that's challenging with this, right, is that 96%, this is an interesting stat, 96% of B2B marketers, when they run an in-market campaign, they expect results in two weeks. But again, the problem is, is that we know the majority of those, of those targeted buyers are not in market to buy anything at all. So the, the, the strategy is flawed. The other interesting stat was 71% of marketers believe that brand perception is more important to their growth than brand awareness. But the real problem is that brand is brand awareness, right? Most people don't think about your brand at all. That's actually the real problem. It's a, it's a brand awareness problem, not, not even close to a brand perception problem. So this means that marketers should really start thinking and obsess, obsessing over awareness, right? Talk to your customers again, pull the message out of your buyers' minds and then repeat that message back to them. This is also another key thing that, that I took away um, from this, this uh, session that I attended at Inbound was that positioning doesn't determine your competition because there for a long time, you know, I thought a lot of this is around positioning and we do see some really great data around positioning as well as being helpful, but it's actually penetration that determines your, your competition. So your main competitors will likely be the biggest brands in your category irrespective of your image or positioning. So the biggest brands have the most mental availability and buyers buy what's mentally available. That's why those big brands typically win. So mental availability is all about being remembered. So some ways to do that, right? Again, talk to buyers. Why do you buy? When do you buy? Who else is involved, right? These are all things that you can capture through qualitative insights, doing win-loss interviews. Building that buyer persona is critically important to this process. Um, when you, your messaging should be about your customer, the brand part should be all about you. That's another key piece, right? Messaging should be about your customer, but the brand part should be all about you. And if you look like everybody else, you will not be remembered. You got to look different to be remembered. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to look funny or anything like that, right? You have to have a narrative. I think you have to have a story that stands out that makes you look different than the other options that are available out there. So B2B marketers shouldn't spend time and money trying to convince out-of-market buyers to consider a purchase, but instead invest in making buyers remember them. So the next time they have a need, they're thinking about your brand or your product instead. So that was my, my point on the uh, 95.5 rule and establishing mental availability. I think there's lots of great ways to, to start thinking about or doing this, right? But the thing that it does bring up is a, so much of the strategies that we focused on over the last decade like search engine optimization, for an example, are really built around trying to capture that 5% that are actually looking to buy right now. And the problem is, is we know most of that 5% are already going to brands that, that are mentally available to them. So it's just a very small percentage 
of that target audience that's out there that would actually be searching on Google for your, uh, for your particular product or service. And to make that even more challenging, I think in 2022, you know, when the, the, you know, pandemic has caused us all to become more digital native, right. We're now using social tools and, and, uh, and video and podcasts and stuff like that in ways that we've never done before. That's making search again, uh, a more challenging place to, to pick buyers or to, to capture buyers when they're looking, you know, with intent, not saying that SEO is not a valuable practice because it certainly does uh, maintain a, a value there. But I do think that we have to start looking at additional ways uh, to get in front of potential buyers. All right, Jenny, I'll stop there. Is there? I have to say that 95.5 rule kind of blew my mind out too, because it just seemed like such a large number, but it makes sense. And the brand that gets remembered is the brand that gets bought. Simple. <laughs> but I, I and, and you touch on SEO and I still love the fact of long form content and writing, but there's so many ways to have brand awareness. And I think combining a lot of the different channels you know, with the LinkedIn and building the community is huge. Like what we're trying or we're starting with our pilot right here tonight. That is just something people, we're human. We want to see each other. We want to talk. We want to discuss. We want to, you know, feel good about different things. And, and that's just one way of doing it. And social is one way of doing it. But um, I think the, the old funnel, like you said, that we've done from decades, from top to bottom, trying to constantly feed in and getting those um, leads that way is, landed sideways <laughs> and with the in-market and the out-market. And yeah. it's just, a, again, it's just a new way. And it's 2022. We're always trying to evolve. And what works you know, now isn't going to work a year from now, but you have to stay on top of it and just be open about it. Yeah. So. I think anything that that's like that, you know, if it's a tactic um, that's not really built for the good of the, of the consumer probably is going to go away. And if you really just start to you know, simplify your marketing and really think about what's the way that I want to be marketed to? How do I appreciate being marketed to? And, and really treating your buyers with that type of intent. I think those are all strategies that will, that'll be around for a long time to come. Right. I mean, it's just the reality of, of, of the challenge. I think that many of us fell into where, you know, we've got a lot of really great technology out there. And sometimes us as marketers like to let that technology determine what our strategies should be instead of stepping away from the technology and really looking at what should those strategies really be and then figuring out how to best apply the technology. Just because you have the technology doesn't mean that you should use it necessarily. But I think that uh, you know sometimes it's something for us to grab a hold of and it's easy to use. And, and oftentimes uh, we can lose focus on what's best for the, you know, for the buyer and, and focus more on ourselves in terms of what we're trying to produce um, and, and showing value for that as well. So um, it, it's certainly, I think, something that all of us marketers and salespeople, you know, battle with and we'll continue to battle with, but, but just keeping, you know, our buyers at the forefront, doing the research, gathering those qualitative insights is really the recipe for success. And that leads us to, we have a couple of questions and one was something about interruption brand marketing strategies. And that was like something done years and years ago, but this is not what you're talking about being interruptive, just like, you know, push or pull marketing. When you speak of brand marketing, could you just clarify what your, the brand marketing that you are looking at for 2022? Yeah. I mean, so the other thing too is like, this is totally an inbound show. And I think inbound is definitely the way to go, right? That's the way that you want to capture a targeted audience. But, um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not necessarily opposed to hyper-targeted advertising around a very specific, you know, targeted audience that's going to find value in that, right? To build brand awareness. I think, you know, paid advertising is a terrific way to do that. And in 2022, we have more tools today than we've ever had before in, able, in order to do that in really smart ways that are affordable and not, you know, uh, wasteful, right? I mean, the old put up a, you know, a billboard days are, they're not necessarily gone. That works for some companies, right? We're in a B2B world where we don't necessarily have to do that. Um, but 
but essentially some of those, some of those strategies can work and there's new ways of doing it today, but you're absolutely right. We want to do the things, these things with our, our buyers in mind, the audience in mind, really clear on the ideal customer profile and not doing it in a way that's a, a spray and pray type approach where we're just trying to blast out a message to as many people in the world to see, hoping that some of them are going to find it of value, right? That's just wasteful, burns money and doesn't work. Um, and, and the same could be said, you know, with advertising, like pay-per-click advertising that's not done uh, properly. Uh, display advertising uh, particularly can be challenging in, in those uh, environments. But there are other opportunities like LinkedIn, where I think display advertising around uh, your you know, ideal customer profile can be highly successful uh, as, a, as a mental availability brand awareness builder. Well, I'm going to wrap up with one of these last questions. And I actually, this is good. And I'm sure everyone has it on their mind because as marketers, how do you suggest getting buy-in from your employer that doesn't really understand demand gen and its value? Because let's face it, you're not talking, like you said, it's going to happen in two weeks. You're going to have huge success. Yeah. The first thing is uh, don't go and tell them it's something new. <laughs> don't tell them it's demand gen. <laughs> and, uh, and then don't promise that it's going to be the, you know, the huge uh, success factor for their business, right? It's a, it's something that, you know, it's un, it's going to be unproven for your organization. So it's something that you have to slowly move into um, and, you know, call it marketing, you know, because that's what it is, right? You're doing marketing and you're doing marketing in 2022. And this is what you do. Uh, don't make it sound like it's something that's, you know, crazy and off the wall that, that is, uh, you know, difficult for somebody to understand. The other thing too, is right. I mean, if people, if, if your, your boss isn't going to, isn't buying into this, right. Um, it may not, it may not be an option. Right. And, and you have some really hard decisions to make, right. Is this the right company that you want to work with? There may be better opportunities that are out there that are more aligned to the way that you believe, you know, a company should go to market. And, you know, I think as a marketer or as a, you know, a sales rep working for a company, they really need to, you know, work for that company that has leadership that, um, you know, has, has fundamental beliefs around how buyers should be treated and how we should go to market. And so those are tough things. You know, you can't, <laughs> you can't necessarily change everybody's mind and it's not always going to work, but I wouldn't try to sell it off as it's something brand new that's going to try and, you know, and, and then you're positioning yourself to, to fail or not, or not, you know, see results in, in a, a fast enough time. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. But I think showing the value of maybe measuring around hero opportunities over marketing qualified leads is a great way to start to show value to, you know, the, the uh, leadership team, um, you know, starting to help them realize when people are filling out that question on the form, how did you hear about us? And measuring that attribution and then comparing that to the attribution that's being recorded in their, their marketing you know, tool like uh, Salesforce or HubSpot and, and looking in at, those, at how those compare and seeing how that data is more beneficial uh, when collecting, you know, then collecting the, um, you know, the, the attribution that's being reported in the, in the uh, tool itself. So the qualitative insights that are going to come from this, the buyer research, all of those things, I think that uh, are relatively easy for leadership to get behind as well as they're, as long as they're explained in the proper way, but definitely going to them and saying, Hey, we're going to start doing some demand gen stuff. You guys should all hop on board. Probably isn't the best approach. And certainly you don't want to sell this as the solution when it's an, un, it's something that's unproven for your organization. But I think every organization should be trying to do new things like this um, in order to, you know, find new and better ways to communicate with their buyers. Yeah, I think, and we just started doing it for um, ourselves and clients that, um, how did you hear about us on the form? Not being a drop down, having them actually type out, how did they hear about us? Instead of us like kind of feeding them with five answers, it's just been, it's an eye opener. So it's pretty exciting to see where that goes from, from here. Uh, we've got about eight minutes. We're good on questions unless anybody else has anything or 
wants to discuss something that we missed or we could give them a cliffhanger of next week. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, next week we're going to, we're going to focus on uh, why buyer personas are worthless. That's an interesting one. Cause I just said they're like one of the most important things, right? <laughs> so we're going to talk about why buyer personas are worthless. Um, is the inbound marketing playbook broken? Another interesting one as well. Cause I love inbound. So yeah, there's a catch to that one as well. Marketing. And why you should be thinking about combining the RMB approach with LinkedIn in 2022. So I'll leave those as cliffhangers there for you guys to hop back, uh, not next week, but the week after uh, to come back and, and uh, continue the conversation. But certainly if you have any questions, you know, between now and then feel free to jot them down, send them over to us via email or save them for the show. And you can just drop those questions in the chat uh, and we'll do our best to, to answer those for you. And what was the email that we uh, learn, want to learn, use? Learn at manageinbound.com. Learn at manageinbound.com. So just a couple closing thoughts with this, right? I think the key things here, we want to look at data privacy and GDPR as an opportunity not as something that stands in our way, right? To become better marketers. I think that's the clear thing. Let's embrace that data privacy is here to stay. And we need to learn how to use that to our advantage. The other thing is let's, let's stop focusing on measuring ebook leads or people that actually have no buying intent, whatever you want to call them, uh, MQLs or, or whatever it may be, and really focus on aligning our North Star success metrics to those that are more closely tied to revenue. And the third thing is realize that we need to focus on building brand awareness. So we're mentally available in our buyer's minds when they come into market. So that means not necessarily always running campaigns that are focused on seeing immediate results, but instead thinking about how to build for the long term, right? Thinking about how to build mental availability in all of our buyers' minds. So when they come into market, they're thinking about our brand instead of our competitors. And they come, they come and, and actually give us an opportunity there first. So I think those are all things that we can take away from our discussion tonight. I appreciate you all being here. This has been wonderful, especially for our very first pilot episode of Inbound Growth Live. I'm looking forward to many more of these. I think it's uh, fantastic that this happened on Groundhog Day, right? So we'll be right back here doing it again in a couple more weeks and then again and again and again and again, right? So, uh, and we're, and we're, and we're looking forward to it. I'm sorry, right? go ahead. Yeah, we're not repeating the, the topics. We're bringing new, new content <laughs> to you on a consistent basis. Hopefully in April, we'll be doing this every week. And that's, that's my goal, uh, starting off the pilot right now every other week. But this has been fun. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. And, uh, and thanks so much. Good night, everyone. Take care.